All right, we, um, uh, we'll get going here, and um, I've got a lot to try to cover this evening. Exodus chapter number 5, Exodus chapter number 5. So far, we've, we've seen Moses go from royalty in Egypt to a humble shepherd in the wilderness. Then he met the great I Am. Remember that part? He met the great I Am, and anything he needed, God said, I am. And he said, go to Pharaoh and just tell him, I am sent you. And what he realized and what Moses learned was this, that God is holy, God's eternal, and God is self-sufficient. Everything Moses need comes by the hand of God. There was nothing Moses lacked that couldn't be accomplished by God. And so we find, we find Moses had two oh Lord moments though. We looked at those. One was this. Remember he said, I, I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. And then he, then he said, send someone else in, uh, chapter number four. Verse number thir- uh, 10, he said, I'm not eloquent. Verse number 13, he said, send someone else. I can't, I can't do this. And so we find Moses is, we're coming to chapter number five in chapter number six. My goal this evening is to look at chapter five and six and just a few verses into chapter number seven to finish our thoughts here this evening. They approach Pharaoh to fulfill this mission. This mission, remember, this mission is from God. Moses and Aaron did not come to this conclusion on their own that Israel needed to be freed. They knew it because Moses saw the people living in bondage and, and, he, and he murdered the Egyptian and he fled. So for the last 40 years, Moses knows his people are living in bondage. Aaron obviously knew that his people, the Hebrew people, were living in bondage. But this plan was not a plan that they came together and said, let's do something about this. The reality is this, left to their own, neither one of them were going to do anything about this problem. This plan, this mission, was what came from God. They, uh, uh, God, uh, um, called these two to perform this task. Um, <clears throat> called Moses, and Moses brought Aaron along to fulfill this task. And so, what we find is this. And I want to look at these thoughts this evening in the, on the title there: "Fighting Discouragement with Gospel Promises." How, how many of you ever been discouraged? Ever been discouraged? Sure. The reality is this, discouragement is a part of life. We're going to see in chapter number five that Moses, the entire chapter is about Moses being discouraged. And we're going to find this, obedience to God's call does not mean everything is going to be easy. We're going to see this through Moses' calling over these next two chapters. God calling you to a task, it doesn't mean it's easy. If we're not careful, a lot of times we think this, if this is what God wants us to do, then the, and God's going to supply, then this is going to be the easiest decision I've ever made or the easiest thing I've ever done. And obedience does not bring necessarily easiness to the task. Many a times and when you get involved, we're going to see this with Moses this evening, obedience will cause life sometimes to go from bad to worse. Obedience doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It may mean hardship, it may mean suffering, and it may mean persecution for your life. And so we've got to get that because when you get to the place 
where life gets hard or life gets difficult, the human reaction is always to what? Change course, right? How many of you, when you face a wall, the first instinct is get through that wall? No, the first instinct is to question, am I supposed to be here? And the second thing, which pretty much comes immediately after that question is, let's just turn around. Most of us don't want to go through roadblocks. Most of us don't want to battle discouragement. Most of us don't want to go through something that's difficult. And it doesn't mean that we're a weak Christian. It just means we're human. The human nature is always going to be the path of least resistance. Probably nobody this morning woke up and said, I want to have a difficult, discouraging day today. I hope God's will brings me right in the middle of discouragement. Right? Anybody do that today? If you did, you're crazy. I just want you to know you're in the wrong class tonight. There's another one. It's called working in a nursery. <laughs> Listen, we need, we need to understand God's plan at times means hardship, suffering, and persecution. There's going to be times where we, we might even say, as Moses said, why, Lord, why me? Wouldn't this be better suited for somebody else? Moses, Moses is going to face discouragement. And Moses followed God. And I want you to see in verse number 22 of chapter 5, look there with me. And Moses returned unto the Lord and, and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? Now, we're going to come back to that verse, but just by way of introduction, I want you to see when Moses began to follow the Lord in this, things actually seemed to get worse. Moses' obedience to the Lord caused pain and suffering for the Israelites, for the Hebrew people. And we're going to see that in chapter 5. Obeying God is not pain-free life. We as westernized Americans, Christians, we, we need to understand from, from the time of the Bible, God's people suffered. The disciples didn't get saved and then get rich and all of their problems go away. Persecution was a normal way of life for followers of Christ. The Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews, just because they were Hebrews and Jews, that just because they were God's chosen people, it brought suffering to them. It brought heartache. There is no, there is no, no, nothing about Abraham's life that showed us that there was problems or there were reasons for him to leave his, his, his uh, homeland. The reason he left was God's plan. And from that time, following the Lord was difficult for, for, for Abraham. He faced pressures. He faced things. And so the, following the Lord and being a Christian for, for, for generations since the first Christians, it was a, it was a call. It was a, a, a life of suffering. Life of suffering. And so we need to realize that as we study and look here this evening, we live in a fallen world. It does not mean that we're going to encounter serious spiritual warfare in times of despair every day of our life, but we are going to go against that 
much of our life. Because once we're saved, there's something that God is going to call every single person to do. And there's something the devil is going to now have reason to attack and discourage you. The devil can't have you once you're saved. But he can seek to discourage you, to get you to the place where you are useless in serving the Lord. He can never take your salvation, but he can do everything he can to get you to lose your joy. He can do everything he can to get you to the place of discouragement. And so the question is this. The question is this. Not will we ever have moments of discouragement. The question ought to be this. How can I deal with discouragement as a Christian? Okay, and that's what we're going to look at here this evening. In Exodus chapter 5 and 6, we're going to learn that we fight discouragement with gospel promises. We fight discouragement with the word of God. We fight discouragement with truth. Have you ever, have you ever tried to comfort somebody that is going through a heartache and, and your, your words of comfort is, don't worry, it's going to get better? Has anybody ever said that to somebody and it not get better? Just because we say it's going to get better and give somebody hope, it doesn't mean it's going to get better. Don't worry. All, it, it's got to get better there and their life might not get better. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. And they got the news from the doctor they weren't expecting. You telling somebody or giving somebody hope doesn't necessarily give them hope. But where we must find hope is in God's word because God's promises are always sure. God's promises are always right. God's promises are always truth. And so when we fight discouragement, we must fight them with gospel promises, with the word of God, all right? And so one, one key section in this passage in all of Exodus, is six, uh, Exodus chapter 6, uh, look with me in verse number 6 through 8, we find this, wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. And, and, and the Lord says this, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will, you see how many times here the Lord says, I will, I will bring you, I will rid you out of their bondage. I will redeem you in the stretched out arm and with great judgments. I will take you to me for a people. I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And so what we find here is Moses, Moses is going to see, God says, I will, I will, I will. Chapter number five, discouragement, discouragement, discouragement. How does he get through that? God says, I'm going to do something. Trust in me, my plan, I will. What Moses had to learn was Moses had to learn to trust in God's promises through discouragement, okay? And so let's look at at chapter number five, and we're gonna begin this evening with discouragement. Exodus chapter five in the first 22 or so verses in this chapter, we're going to study here. In the first three verses, I want you to find this. The Bible says, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go. They may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? Boy, this is a bad thing for Pharaoh to say. Who is the Lord? And that I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, the God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days journey into the desert. 
sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And so Moses comes to Pharaoh and he says this, Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh's response was, I don't know your God. Who is this God? I'm not going to listen to this God. And they said, we asking you to let us go into the wilderness and for three days and have a feast in the Lord because we don't want the Lord to punish us with sickness. So let us go. And Pharaoh's response, Pharaoh's response is, I don't know the Lord. Now, this is just kind of a side point, but, but Pharaoh, we know Pharaoh died there in the, in the uh, 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 Red Sea there, the drowning in his army. You know what Pharaoh, for now from since all that time, Pharaoh is now in hell and he now wishes those statements were never made. Could you imagine that? Who is the Lord? He's mocking the Lord. And so the first thing that Moses, Moses here, he speaks to Pharaoh in the first three verses. As we're going to study the discouragement, what we find, first of all, in these first three verses, that Moses is speaking to Pharaoh. The discouragement that Moses finds doesn't come from his obedience. The, mo- the, the, the discouragement he finds is because of the result of his conversation with Pharaoh. I think Moses, after this conversation with the Lord at the burning bush, he goes in and he probably thought, all right, God's got everything covered. All the excuses I had, God's made away, and Aaron's with me. We're going to go in here, and I'm going to let Pharaoh know what's going on, and God's going to let Pharaoh know this is what's going to happen, and Pharaoh is going to let the people go. Only he finds out that's not what Pharaoh did. Pharaoh challenges Moses. Pharaoh doesn't say, well, great, Moses, if that's what God wants you to do, take the people and head on out for your feast. It's the complete opposite. Pharaoh's response. We find, we find that Moses and Aaron, they're in obeying God's instruction, and they ask for this festival to take place in the wilderness. The initial request was just an easy, modest request. He wasn't asking to let the people leave Egypt. What he was simply saying is, give us three days that we could leave Egypt, go into the desert, have this feast, and there was no mention even here of a permanent leaving of Egypt. This was a temporary thing. They, they were following God's plan, God's desire for them. In the second part of the question that um, uh, uh, Pharaoh then, Pharaoh says, who is God? The second part of his question is, who is he that I should obey him? He'd be challenging Moses. And despite his question, I want you to see something here. Moses and Aaron, they persisted. I believe this. What we're going to find here is as Moses faced the first initial spot of discouragement, the battle that took place, they decided that they were going to persist. Remember I said in the introduction, the first thing we want to do when hard times come is just stop. And many people would tell you, Sometimes if we're not careful, we equate obstacles to God closing a door. Obstacles isn't always God closing a door. Sometimes the obstacle is there so that God could prove even greater who he is. And so here, Moses Moses is saying, uh, Moses and Aaron, they're persistent. They stay with it. They could have, they're in the presence of Pharaoh, and they could have said, all right, Pharaoh, you don't want them to go. That's fine. We're done with this. Walk back out and say, God, we did everything you told us to do. Pharaoh decided not to obey. Our job is done. But you don't find it ending there in, in, in their response. They said, God has met with us. 
they made their plea to Pharaoh, and they, they're asking that they, they can make this sacrifice. And in the reason there, again, we find that reason of this is God is desiring worship from his people. Moses and Aaron is trying to get the people of Israel to a place where they're going to worship the Lord. And they're relying here upon God. <clears throat> I want you to see, secondly here, I'm going to kind of go through this some quickly so I can get to the, the promises part. But secondly, I want you to see the king in verse number four through verse number nine, the king refuses to listen. So not only does Pharaoh question God, in verse number four, the king of Egypt said unto them, wherefore do ye, do ye Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you under your burdens. He says this, why are you stopping the people from working? Then what he does is this. He says, they've got too much time on their hands. If they, if they have enough time to go have a festival, if they have enough time to think about this festival, they're not working hard enough. So this is what I'm going to get you to do. They now have to start getting their own straw. Before, the straw was being given to them by Pharaoh and Pharaoh's men to make the bricks. Now Pharaoh says this, you've got too much time on your hands. Now this is what you've got to do. You've got to go find your own straw but now that you have to find your own straw, you can't stop making the same number of bricks. So your workload just increased and you better not stop production. He's being unrealistic. And how do you think Moses and Aaron now feels at this time? Not only is he questioning who God is, now he's making the workload even greater for the Jewish people. For the Israelites, now Pharaoh's response, he refuses to listen. And he says now, now they're, going, they're not going to be given straw, and now they must produce the same number of bricks. That was his, that was his, his uh, 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 response to Moses. Now, again, second, second obstacle here for Moses. What Moses could have said is, you know what? No, 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 wait a minute. This is just too much. I don't want any more pressure on it. Forget I even asked. This, isn't, this wasn't the people that requested this, Pharaoh. This is what I asked. Forget I even asked. Just forget we came in here. Leave them alone. Let them do what they were doing before. You've just made their burden even greater. But Moses now is fighting discouragement, but Moses stays with it. Thirdly, I want you to see this, this awful situation. In verse number 10 of chapter number 5, the Bible says, And the taskmasters of the people went out. And there are officers, and they spake to the people, saying, Thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go ye, get you straw where you can find it, yet not aught of your work shall be diminished. So wherever you can get straw, get it. But you better not stop the amount of work that you're producing right now. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. So what's the result of this? This awful situation, they have to make bricks without straw. Now all the people are scattered. Not only are they scattered, now they're doing anything they can to find what they can to take the place of the straw because they can't find enough straw. 
They not only can have to find the straw from wherever it's at, they've got to then quickly bring it back to where the bricks are being made because the same amount of bricks have to continually be made. So what we find are the people are scattered. So, so now they're finding any rubble, any, any, anything that they can that would act like straw in the bricks just so they can get this job done. This awful situation. Israel's already in bondage. Israel's already a slave. They've built great cities. They're working. Remember, we saw in the first lesson, I think, they were the they worked in all the agricultural projects in, in, in Egypt. They were oppressed socially. Israel's oppressed economically. Israel's oppressed politically. Now, because of Moses, their situation just went from bad to worse. If it wasn't bad enough, it got worse. They're now in great need of, of mercy. And Pharaoh's not willing to give him any mercy. And in verses 10 through 13 here in chapter 5, we see the slaves, the slave drivers, they're doing as Pharaoh demanded. They're scattering the people. They're requiring this to happen. And I want you to see now in verse number 14, the Bible says, and the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and demanded, wherefore, have ye not fulfilled your task in making bricks both yesterday and today and heretofore? Now in verse number 14, the foreman or the middle, the middle management people, these are probably Israelites that they took to oversee the people. Now they're beaten because the people cannot supply enough bricks as they did before. How many of you would think that Israel, uh, the Jewish people, the Israelites, are probably questioning why Moses ever came back to Egypt? Because their situation was so horrible. And Moses' involvement now got made it get worse. That's discouraging, isn't it? It's discouraging that God calls Moses to do something. And many a times what we have to understand when God's going to call you to do something, you can't look at the effects. You've got to keep your eyes on him. Because the effects of others that, that, that God has asked you to do, it could cause you to get discouraged. It can cause you to get to question. This was not something that Moses, remember 40 years previously, Moses killed an Egyptian man for beating one of the Jews. And so he tried to save his people at that time by beating and killing this Egyptian man. Now his involvement 40 years, 40 years later, you know what it's doing? It's causing the people that he wanted to help to get beaten again. His involvement has made it worse. It's an awful situation for them. It's incredibly hot. It's the, it's, it's, you think it's humid in here. Imagine what it would be like making bricks. I want you to see next, whatever number we're at here. In verse number 15 down to verse number 21, the people respond. The officers come to Pharaoh. Now the officers begin to complain. There's no straw given to us, thy servants, in verse number 16. Verse number 17, but he said, ye are idle, ye are idle. Therefore, ye say, let us go and do a sacrifice to the Lord and go ye therefore now and work. For there shall no straw be given you, yet shall ye deliver the tale of bricks. 
and the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case. What, what, what that means is this, they are not going to get any mercy from Pharaoh. The situation just got worse. Verse number 20, and they went to Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. So imagine them coming from Pharaoh. They're coming out. They went into Pharaoh and they said, Pharaoh, this is just too much. This is, what you're expecting is too much. It's too great. You want us to work. Everything we were doing before, we were doing. But now what you're adding to us, it's impossible. And they learned this. Pharaoh wasn't going to give mercy. Now listen, the people, the people went to the wrong person. It was Pharaoh that was putting him in bondage. Listen, it's like, a, it's like God's people trying to, when they're discouraged and when life doesn't go their way, it's like going back to what put them in bondage in the first place to try to find mercy. It's like going to the world to find relief. It's like going to alcohol and, and drugs and, 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 and fleshly things to fulfill a need that you have or fulfill a desire that you have or to compensate for the struggles you're having. When going back to what puts you in bondage isn't the answer, going to the God of heaven, that's the answer for mercy. But they went back to Pharaoh. See, what they, rem what they forgot was this. God, God heard their cries. Things weren't good the way they were, or God wouldn't have heard their cries. He wouldn't look down and see them in their affliction. Because things got worse, they forgot how bad it really was. Because they took their eyes upon the Lord, off of him. They, they put their eyes on Pharaoh, thinking it was Pharaoh that can deliver them from their bondage. But Never does the world deliver someone from the bondage. Someone is only delivered by the hands of God. And so we find, we find that in verse number 21, there's Moses. Moses and Aaron is not in there with the people as they're dealing with Pharaoh. So the people come out and the Bible says they're standing in the way, or I imagine the doors open up and they come out from where Pharaoh is. And as soon as, um, as, as close to the situation as Moses and Aaron could get, they stood. And the people saw Moses and Aaron. Pharaoh showed them no mercy. Nothing changed. You know what they realized? When we get back, we can't do this. Another beating's coming. There's no mercy. And this is what they say. And they said unto them in verse number 21, the Lord look upon you and judge because ye have made our savor to be aboard in the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. You know what he's saying next? You've made us stink in the eyes of Pharaoh. When Pharaoh sees us now, he says that savor, that smell, we stink in his eyes. We stink in his nostrils. He's angry with us. Pharaoh now isn't looking for anything good to do to the people of Israel. Now he's looking for ways to punish them. And as the story continues, the foreman turns to Pharaoh in protest because they didn't understand why they were being beaten. They're caught right in the middle. 
they weren't the ones asking for this. It was Moses. They're the ones getting beat because of Moses' obedience. So they go to Pharaoh instead of going to God. They lashed out at Moses. They lashed out at Pharaoh. And I want you to see Moses in verse number 22. Next, I want you to see Moses cries out in verse number 22. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to his people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. And all of chapter number five, from the beginning to the end, we find discouragement. We find Moses is crying out. I think that's next in your notes. Because the people now are rejecting Moses. God calls Moses to a task, and now Pharaoh's rejected Moses. He says, who's God? I don't know him. But he stood firm. We start with Pharaoh rejecting him. We end the chapter with now the leaders rejecting him. Say, Moses, what are you doing to us? What kind of trouble you've put us in? Now, Moses wasn't following his plan. He was following God's plan. Let's be real. This is discouraging for Moses, isn't it? When you want to serve the Lord and you want to be obedient. And I want you to see that Moses now is beginning to question something. Moses, I want you to see, first of all, Moses' response is this. He returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? You know what Moses began to do? Begin to question God's goodness. I think it's a mistake that if we're not careful, we begin to do and we begin to get discouraged. We begin to question God's goodness. Listen, in times of discouragement, what we must realize is what we are looking at is a piece of the entire picture. God sees it from a bigger perspective. What does God see? God sees redeeming and delivering his people out of bondage. He sees setting them into the promised land. He sees them in a land that's been promised to them. Remember, the land of milk and honey, the land they're not going to have to work for, land they're not going to have to till, the vineyards they didn't have to plant. God sees them coming out of this place. Moses just sees a glimpse, a, a day in the big picture. And we need to be very careful when we go through times of discouragement. Moses hasn't done anything wrong. This discouragement is coming because he's obeying the Lord. And at this time, Moses now begins to question, God, are you even good? Because if you were a good God, why would you do this to this people? Why would you make one situation worse? And when we get discouraged, we need to be careful that we don't get so focused on the events of a day and take our mind off the God that sees all of it. Moses, number one, he began to question God's goodness. Second thing I see that Moses was wrong with is this. He began to question God's purpose. He said this, not only did he say, God, why have you caused this evil and treated this people? He said, why is it that thou hast sent me? You see, you, Moses has to be careful. This wasn't about Moses. This was about God. 
This is about God delivering his people out of bondage so that the whole world would see that God is a great God, so that all the world would see the character of God, so all the world would serve God and worship God. That was his desire, to use Israel as an example to show the world who he was. And now he's beginning to question God's purpose. We need to be very careful in a time of discouragement when we're looking at an event in, in that one event that doesn't show us the whole picture, but just reveals a, an event during this time that we don't question God's purpose. Listen, God's purpose hadn't changed from the time he was at the burning bush where he told Moses, I want my people to come out of Egypt. I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to bring them out of bondage and into their place of the Canaan so they can worship me, so they can, they can uh, fellowship with me, so I can be their God and they can be my people. That's my goal. The, the, the discouragement doesn't change God's purpose. Thirdly, I want you to see another mistake Moses made. Moses not only questioned God's goodness, he not only questioned God's purpose, he also questioned God's actions. Look with me in verse number 23, he says this, For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. You know what he started doing? He started questioning God's actions. You haven't lived up to what you said you would. I did what you told me to do and nothing has changed. Moses reminds, of, Moses reminds us of ourselves sometimes, doesn't he? I love to look at this story of Moses and say, aren't you glad none of us have ever done this before? Aren't you glad that none of us has ever questioned Aren't you glad that any time that discouragement has ever come, you and I have always handled it correctly? But the fact of the matter is this. Moses is handling it like most human beings handle it. We get our eyes off God. We get our eyes on ourselves, And we begin to doubt. And we need to re be very careful to remember what God has revealed to us, what God has called us, what God has promised, discouragement doesn't change. What God is doing is God is looking to strengthen. God is looking to help. God is looking to show his power. And so Moses, what we find in chapter number five, <clears throat> at times life brings deep discouragement. At times, life brings pain. At times, life brings trouble. At times, life brings questions. And listen, at times, it even brings harsher slavery. Makes life difficult. But Moses was following God. And in following God, things actually got worse. <clears throat> so my question is this. In, out of chapter number five, how do you fight discouragement then? When I ask in the beginning, how many of you face discouragement, just about everybody raised their hand. We know it's real. We can find examples of people in the Bible that went through it. We can't really judge Moses because we've responded probably much of the same. So how do you fight it? What do you do? Because when you get discouraged, it's kind of hard 
to keep going. Those aren't the times where you feel the strongest. Those aren't the times that you feel the surest. Those are the times you feel weak. And those are the times you have your greatest questions. So what do you do? How do we respond? Chapter number five shows discouragement is there. I want to tell you this in verse chapter number six. The answer is this, you fight with promises. You fight with promises. And that's what chapter six is all about. Chapter number six is all about the gospel promises. Gospel promises. This is the good part. This is the fun part of this. Because we're going to see what God does and what God reveals to show Moses. Promises provide us with hope of what is to come. Not every promise in the Bible, you've had the claim. But it's good to know that when you need it, it's there. And the truth is, I don't want to have to claim every promise in the Bible. Because that means i got to go through a lot of hurt. <laughs> I'd rather not have to claim some of them. But I know this is true. If I ever find myself in a place where I do, they're sure and they're truth. I remember with Brother Mickey. When Brother Mickey first got some, some uh, diagnosis from the doctor, well, we prayed. You were there, Brother Lord. Prayed. Men gathered around him, and there were tears. The church gathered around him, and there were tears. And no one said, you're going to beat this. Because the reality is no one knew if he could. I didn't hear anybody giving him false hope. Because some of them thought, oh, my. But there were Bible verses that were quoted. There were promises that were given. And what a wonderful thing it was when he stood and said he met with a doctor and the doctor said nothing like the first meeting. Either the doctor had it wrong or God's a good God. God's a good God. I remember, I remember talking with Dorothy and Dorothy was so concerned because the doctor wasn't looking too good uh, about what the, what the outcome was going to be with Slim. She probably wasn't showing a whole lot of that fear in front of Slim, but she was scared. She said, if he loses his foot, I'm going to have to wait on him the rest of his life. I can't do that. He's tough. No, she didn't say that. She said, we're just going to give him a new foot, and he's going to get on that lawnmower, and he's going to, lawn he's going to mow. She was concerned. She would say, the doctor said this. The doctor said that. This could happen. That could happen. And we prayed. And we were sure about God's promises. And we took hope in God's promises. And God took a, what could have been a disaster. And as best case scenario as a bad situation could be, it was best case scenario. He's golfing again. And God even took three strokes off his game. Yeah. You see, what we find is this. When discouragement comes, we have to fight them with God's promises. Promises provide us hope. 
In the midst of darkness, promises remind us. Get this, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of a dark time, promises remind us of the glory of God. Reminds us who God is. And that's exactly where Moses found God. And this is interesting, and I want to get right into this. What what we found is this, then the Lord said unto Moses, now shalt thou, in verse number one of chapter six, then the Lord said unto Moses, now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his hand. You know what Moses learned? God is in control. As this story goes on, God assures Moses that there is only one God, and that is not Pharaoh, it's God. Pharaoh is not going to dictate what God is going to do. Pharaoh can try. It doesn't matter that Pharaoh said, who is this God? I don't know him. That doesn't diminish who God is. God is in control. Whether Pharaoh recognizes him or not, that doesn't limit God. God is in control. What I find interesting is this. God never answered the questions why that Moses had. You remember previously, Moses returned. He said, why, Lord? Why have you done this? Why have you allowed this? Why did you send me? Why didn't you deliver your people? He had all these questions about why. And God never said, all right, let me give you the answer to all your questions why. He never answered his questions why. He just said, this is who I am. And what he was doing is telling Moses, just depend upon me. Trust me. We're going to always have questions. We're always going to have concerns. But what Pharaoh, what Pharaoh was doing was putting that doubt and putting that discouragement in his mind. And what God was saying to Moses was this, trust me. Don't get off on the discouragement in the battles in who Pharaoh thinks he is and what Pharaoh thinks he can accomplish. Pharaoh's not God, and Pharaoh has no control of who God is. And so he never answers these questions. He simply reminds Moses that his plan will never be deterred. And that's a wonderful thing. Because God didn't then say, all right, Moses, let me answer all these questions. Let me help you feel better. Because answering Moses' questions wasn't going to make him feel better. What caused Moses to have confidence was realizing who God is and what God's authority was and that Pharaoh had no authority over God's plan. And so number one, we find this, God is in control. The Israelites, they're enslaved for 400 years. Why would Moses think that God should act immediately? God could have just killed Pharaoh right there at any time. But Moses is going to learn this, that God has a way of doing things in his own time. And Moses needs to learn to trust God's timing. Why did Moses think, after 400 years of captivity, I'm going to walk in and Pharaoh's going to listen to me immediately? And again, I think we have to understand this as well. When discouragement comes, number one, we've got to realize it's God's, God's in control. He's in control of the situation, and he's in control of the timing as well. God does not work on our timetable. He works on his. And God's timetable is always better than man's. How many of you have ever been discouraged because something didn't happen as quick as you wanted it to happen? That's me, both hands, that's me. 
I lack patience. I think, God, this is yours, and so make it happen today. I don't want to know what you're doing and you want me to get through the process. I just want you to finish the job. Not realizing this, through the process of him finishing the job, there's things that I learn. Moses was about ready to take over 2 million people through a place where there's going to be a Red Sea. And Moses is going to see this Red Sea, and he's going to see Pharaoh coming behind him, and Moses is going to just collapse. No, what Moses is going to do is Moses is going to trust in God. Why? Because God's timing is always right. He brought Moses through these, these plagues. He brought Moses through this trial. He brought Moses through the discouragement. Why? Because Moses was going to need it for his leadership later on. And sometimes we don't like the process of that molding. We don't like the processes of us growing. But God is going to use this so that he can do greater things through Moses later in life. And so we've got to let God be in control. We have got to let God's timing be right. All right? Next, I want you to write this down. God keeps his covenant. In verses number two and five, and God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord God. I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of the God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan and the land of their pilgrimage wherein they were strangers. God keeps his covenants. God doesn't lie. How do we find, how do we find relief from discouragement? Knowing this, God never lies. What he promised is going to come true. What he's saying to Moses is this, I made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I'm not breaking my promise. I am going to give them exactly what I said I was. Once again, God mentioned these two great motives, and he's talking about redemption here. He said, I'm going to redeem my people. I'm going to bring them out of bondage. I'm going to bring them out of slavery. I'm going to set them into the promised land. He said, I have a covenant. He said this, I know they're oppressed, and I'm going to deliver them from oppression. And I want you to see this next. God saves. In verse number six, from verse number six all the way down through to chapter number seven, we read many of those, what he said, I will do in verse six, seven, and eight. In verse number nine, Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for the anguish of spirit and for the cruel bondage. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Go and speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of the land. And Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of uncircumcised lips? And the Lord spake unto Moses and said un and, and unto Aaron, and gave them charge unto the children of Israel and unto Pharaoh's king of Egypt to bring the children of Egypt out uh, of children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These be the heads of their fathers' houses. And then he goes in and he starts talking about the heads of the houses, like kind of like just right in the middle of it all. He just gives us a lineage of things. And I want you to see this: God saves. In verses number six through eight, he says these two words, I will, over and over and over again. He says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Look with me in chapter number seven, verse number three and four. 
He says the same, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto him, and I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of, of Egypt by great judgment. What God is saying is, I will do this. I'm going to save my people. And in saving them, I want you to see some things here back in chapter number six. The first truth we note is this. In verse number six, he says, Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt, of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage. I want you to think about this. Because remember, we see the thread of redemption all through the word of God. Remember when we studied the, begin to our study in the book of Exodus, we said we want to see Christ in this. We want to see redemption. We don't want to just study a story. I want to see that thread all the way through. The thread of redemption. And I want you to see, first of all, in verse number six, we see this the thread. The first truth we should note is this. God saves, he liberates. He says, I will deliver you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from bondage, or I will deliver you from slavery. And this is a picture of salvation. God's going to bring his people out of bondage. Listen, when you were saved, you were saved from the bondage of sin, from the grip of sin. You were dead and trespasses in what? In sin. And God saved you. The wonderful work of salvation is that he didn't just leave you where you are. You are saved from sin. You're free from sin. You're free from the bondage of sin. And that's exactly what he said, I'm going to do to the Egyptians. I'm going to save them. I'm going to free them from their bondage. He didn't say, I'm just going to be their God in their bondage. And so I'm going to come and meet with them while they're living in their bondage. He says, no, I'm giving them, I'm taking them out of sin. Listen, when we're saved, we're free from the bondage of sin, the sin that once had hold on us. It no longer has that hold on us anymore. The sin that once controlled us, it doesn't control us anymore. We're saved from this sin. And God is showing us that redemptive plan. Right here in verse number six, he's showing us that he desires to free us, deliver us from sin. I want you to see Secondly, this, the next gospel concept we see here. In verse number six, he says, I want to free you from the bondage and I will, what, redeem you with a stretched out arm. See that word redeem? The second, the second, the next gospel concept we should recognize is redemption. He doesn't just want to free us. He wants to redeem us. He could have just said, Israel, I'm going to keep you in, 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 in Egypt. I'm just not going to let you be slaves anymore. He said, I want you to be free from them. I want you to no longer be slaves, and I don't want you to be in Egypt anymore. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to bring you to the promised land. I'm going to draw you out. What a great picture of salvation is I'm going to redeem you. I'm not just going to free you from your bondage of sin. I want to redeem you. I want, to, I want what was lost to sin, what was lost to the bondage of slavery, I want back for myself. Listen, God desired for them to be his people. I want you to see next, just because i got to get done here. 
The third gospel concept we see here in these verses is for us to consider is this adoption. I love adoption. I've told the story to our church many a times, but every so often on, on Facebook, I see this little girl, she just keeps getting bigger and bigger and cuter and cuter. And I remember the first time I saw that little girl, I didn't see her, I saw her mom's little belly. And she sat in my office when I pastored in Georgia and her and her husband at the time said this, she, uh, we're, we're having a child and I don't want it. I said, you don't, you don't want it? No. Didn't mean to get pregnant. Don't want to be pregnant. And we don't want this child. And I said, well, what do you want us to do? And they said, would you know anybody that wouldn't want, would want a child? Well, what they didn't know is I had just met with another family in our church that said, we want a child so bad, but she had leukemia when she was in her early 20s, and because of that, she was not able to have children, the doctor said. The doctor said, you'll probably never have children, and, they, and they've been praying, and they met with me just previously to that meeting, and they said, we have decided that we're going to adopt, and, and we're going to go through a Christian adoption agency, but the only problem is we don't have the money it's going to require so much money to adopt. And I remember saying to them, if this is what God desires, God is going to supply. And just a little bit time later, the couple sit in my office and they said, do you know of anybody? And I said, I do. And they said, well, we want to know about this person. And so would you give us some more information? Would you get these questions answered for us? And, and I remember going through this process back and forth, and they didn't know uh, who the other, uh, the, the people that were going to do the adoption, didn't know who the other family was. And I remember going back and forth, and, 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 and we got all the questions answered. And this two couple said, Let's, we're going to talk about it, and we'll let you know. I think they said by Friday or Saturday. Was it Friday, Michelle? Well, Sunday morning came around, and I, I knew. I knew this couple would be waiting because I didn't call them Friday, and I didn't call them Saturday. And I knew they would be waiting for me at church, and sure enough, not long after I got into my office that morning, there's a knock on my door, and I look, and there's their faces through my window, and I didn't want to face them. And I remember her face, Heather's her name, she peeked her head in my office. She says, have you heard anything? She's in tears. Have you heard anything? I mean, they got their hopes up. I said, Heather, I haven't heard anything. I heard a thing. And she just kind of hung her head and cried in her husband's shoulder as I walked out of my office. Man, my heart broke. They leave my office and Sunday school started. And I was in my office and I never would answer my phone. But that day, this number came up, and I answered my phone, and it was the husband. He says, we're sorry we didn't call you Friday, and we're sorry we didn't call you uh, Saturday, but today, uh, just thought we'd catch you before you got into church. He said, but we've decided that we, uh, we want this baby to go to this family. I said, you couldn't have told me 10 minutes ago? No, I didn't say that. So I walk into church, getting ready to preach, and this family's sitting over here, crying the whole service. And I'm preaching. I just want to stop preaching and say, the baby's yours. 
but I'm preaching and I'm watching them just grieving and they came to the altar that morning and they just boohooed at the altar and I went to them afterwards and I was wrong for this. But I said, um, I need to see you in my office after church. I should have just told him right there. But I had to play this thing up, you know. I said, I need you to see you in my office after church. And they said, you heard from him? I said, I heard from him. I said, we'll, we'll talk in my office. They beat me to my office. And Michelle, Michelle was there. And they're sitting down. They're crying. They're like, just tell us the bad news. And I walked over to Heather. And I gave her a hug. I said, Mom, congratulations. She said, Mom. And she cried all over again. It was great. The baby is born. And we were there in that room when they took the baby and brought that baby into this couple. And that family then stood before a judge and what they thought was going to be fifteen or $20,000 to adopt, it was $1,500. They walked out of that courtroom and it was like, it's done. That little girl carries their last name. If you saw pictures, if you saw the way they acted, if you saw this little girl act with these parents, you would think that this little girl was naturally born by that mom. They adopted this child, and that child is 100% theirs. No one can take that child from them. And that's the wonderful thing about adoption. When God adopts us, we become his child. We are his. We are sealed. There's no one. Listen, the devil can't have us back. He can't get us back. And it doesn't matter who my mom and dad are. It doesn't matter the sins I've done. It doesn't matter the family heritage. It doesn't matter the history. That All of that is wiped away. All of that slate is cleaned by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm adopted into the family of God. Listen to me. Anytime you get discouraged, just remember who your father is. He's God. And he loves you just like he loves his own son. The wonderful thing about adoption, the wonderful thing here is he is showing his people. He says this in verse number seven. Look, he says, I will take you to, uh, I, I will take you to me for a people and I will be to you a God. He says, listen, I am going to be, we are going to be a family. You don't des- you don't deserve this. You've done nothing to merit this. This is all done because of who God is and because of his mercy and because of his love. He brings us into his family and he treats us just like we're his child. And when he sees us, he sees us as his child. Isn't it a wonderful thing? He doesn't say, you know what, you're the stepchild. No, he loves us like we're his child. That's how he sees us. It's a wonderful thing about salvation. Next, I want you to see this. I keep saying I need to get done and I keep getting bogged down. Fourth is the concept of an inheritance. He says this, I'll bring you out of the land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at me in verse number uh, eight. And, uh, I will bring you into this land concerning which I did swear and give unto Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I'll give it to you for a heritage. I am the Lord. Listen, we have an inheritance from God. No matter how hard, no matter how difficult, no matter how uh, the problems come upon this earth, we have an inheritance. 
I was talking, my mom is here visiting in the beginning of this past week. I was talking to my mom. And my mom just moved from, she was the teacher down in Cincinnati, and she just retired this past year, and she's moving back to Michigan. The only problem is she doesn't have a place to live. Social Security doesn't pay enough. She's going to have to get a little job. She doesn't know where. And all of life is changing. It's tough to sit on the phone on the one side and just hear your mom cry. Because I want to say, no problem, mom. This will be fixed and that will be fixed. Take care of everything. But the problem is this. I can't guarantee that all of her problems are going to go away here on this earth. But I can assure her this. There's an inheritance waiting for her in heaven. We're going to rule and reign here upon this earth with the Lord. I don't know what that mansion is going to look like. But I can tell you this, it's going to be the best place you and I have ever stayed. He said, there's a mansion, I go to prepare a place for you, there's inheritance. When we get to a place of discouragement, we need to realize this, that God gives us an inheritance. Listen, we, we are saved, and then there's an inheritance that comes with that. In my garage, there's a whole lot of things that my dad left when he died, and I have tools that don't work now because... I haven't used them. We have tools that don't work because I don't know how to use them. Um, and, and there's like things all over, books and all kinds of things. And the reality is that inheritance is going to be given to my son. He's going to have tools that he doesn't know how to use, and I don't know how to show him to use. We're just going to go, I'll probably give all the stuff we don't know how to use to my son-in-laws. That'd be a good gift to them, huh? That inheritance is getting rusty. The inheritance that God gives never gets old, never gets rusty. God shows us here the gospel concept is an inheritance. He said, I'm going to bring you out what I swore to Abraham, what I swore to Isaac, I'm going to give to you. In Jesus, God, because of who Jesus is, said, I'm going to give you eternal life, not based upon what we've done, not based upon what we earn, but we get inheritance based upon who Jesus Christ is and what he did upon the cross because Jesus went to the cross because he paid our sin debt. And all I simply had to do was put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did gives me an inheritance. Because of what God did for us, God sent his son so that we could have everlasting life. That free gift that God gives, it gives us more than just uh, uh, liberates us from sin. It gives us more than, 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 than being redeemed. It gives us something for all of eternity, this great inheritance. We're studying on Sunday mornings about the end time prophecy. And we're going to get to this place. We're not there yet, but we're going to get to the place where there's a new heaven and a new earth. And guess what we get? We get to live there. And there's no sun because Jesus is the light. Man, that's going to be a great place. And it's all ours. I like getting stuff, good stuff, that I didn't earn, don't you? When I was a when I was in junior high, I went to, down to the Seven Eleven. I just dropped my name into a little little drawing, and this 
company called me and said, you want a free bike? I got a free bike. Now, the pedals didn't work and the chain kept falling off, but it was a free bike. And I remember that bike and I thought to myself, this is awesome. I got something for free. This is a good feeling. And I remember the first car I bought. I had to pay for it. I had to work. That hurt. I'd rather get it for free. <laughs> because the first car I bought it was about the condition of the first bike I won. It didn't run. It had problems. The chain kept falling off. <laughs> but boy, to know that there's an inheritance and God promises. See, what God is showing us in the book of Exodus, God is showing us discouragement comes, trials come, problems come in life. But we've got to remember that God is in control. In chapter number six, he shows us that thread of redemption. He shows us that thread of inheritance. He shows us that thread of salvation. See, it's not some dis, disorganized story or, or a story that, that, that took place thousands of years ago that has no bearing on us today. That story that took place thousands of years ago was the thread that goes through all of the Bible that comes to us today that shows us that God keeps his promises, that salvation that he promised, it's true, that we are a child of God, that he loves us, that we have salvation through him, that when we get discouraged, we just need to realize he is in control, that his plan is what we must look to and have confidence in his promises. And the greatest confidence, that promise we can have confidence is, is this. He saves us. He redeems us. And there's inheritance waiting for us. All right? Chapter number seven, we're going to begin our last. Did I get you all the notes? Did I miss one? The last one? I got going so much, I forgot the last one. Um, the f um, acting on his promises. Yeah, that's the application. How could I miss that one? Acting on his promises. After preaching the gospel, we need to go act upon it. Because that salvation that we have is the same thing that God wants to do. He wants to liberate. He wants to redeem. He wants to adopt sinners. You know, this family... This family that was uh, to adopted this little girl, they probably couldn't adopt every single kid in the world that needed to be adopted. My wife, I think, would like to try that, but it's not possible. But every single sinner that by grace through faith can become a child of God. He doesn't turn anybody away. And wouldn't it be a selfish thing to know all about that redemption plan, all about that thread, and not want someone else to have it. I read a story of a little kid in India, grew up in the in the really bad parts. Uh, the area he grew up in is actually what was known as the dump, and he would he and his brothers would live there in that dump, and. Um, uh, eat from there and just kind of survive. And they took him and brought him and his brothers to an orphanage and the family wanted to, wanted to adopt. And so they adopted this child and this child went from this, this just cruel place of living to this home where he was loved and cared for. And they began to stay there and, and, and just loved being there and 
the parents noticed, the adopting parents noticed there was something wrong with this child. And so after a course of time, it began to come out, and this child said to these those parents that adopted him, he said, I love being your child, but I have brothers that are still living in this dump. And I feel guilty taking all the things that you're offering and all the love that you're giving when my brothers don't have a choice, don't have a chance. And this family went and found out who his brothers were through this orphanage and ended up adopting all of his brothers. And this little boy got so excited, he could have had all of it to himself. He could have all of their love. He could have all of their affection. He could have all of their inheritance. He could have all of everything they had. But he wanted to share because it was so good. And all he could think about is, I want my brothers to experience this love. And this family adopted all of these boys. And that story is a great story to remind us it's exactly what God does. He's willing to adopt any, all that come to repentance, he's willing to save. But are we willing to tell? We get everything we looked at tonight. Wouldn't we want a lost and dying world to have the same? I mean, how could we look at someone living into the bondage of sin and know what they could be redeemed from and not have it? How could we experience the love of God and not want our neighbor to have it? I was proud of our little girl. They, I told you Sunday they met her neighbors, and I think by the time we're all done, our neighbors are either going to get saved or want nothing to do with our crazy family. Because our girls are all excited about doing whatever they can do to tell the neighbors who Jesus is. When you experience the love of God, you just want everyone else to have that same love. So we've got to act on those promises.